Welcome to the Raiseology Podcast with your host, pediatrician and parenting mentor, Sharon Somek, here to empower parents to raise resilient and independent children. Grab your coffee or your margarita and let's get started. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should be used to supplement rather than substitute the care provided by your physician. In this episode, I'm sharing a coaching call with my client, Kate. We're going to be talking about her three-year-old son's recent behavior changes. Okay, so tell me what's going on. Well, to follow up on what we did, talked about last week, we tried some of the techniques um, in terms of mealtime, and they're working 100%. I'm Um, so happy to hear that. I've just straight out been ignoring him and like not giving him the attention, you know, during meals, we've just been pretty much saying to him, like, this is what's for dinner. This is what's for lunch. If you're not going to eat it, that's fine. But your other option is to get ready for bed or nap time. And, you know, he, cause he's kind of one of those kids will be like, I'm done. I'm going to go watch something on TV. And I'm like, no, that's not the way we're going to handle this. So we've just kind of given him like two options. Like you're going to eat or you're not. And we had a complete meltdown, like the first day we did it, screaming, crying, not wanting to sit at the table. And then we just kind of ignored it. And I was just like, I'm sorry, you're upset, but you, you can sit here with us until everyone else is done. And then if you don't want to eat, that's fine, but we're not having anything else. And within like 25 minutes, he ate not only the whole bowl of what I gave him, but asked for seconds. And I was like, I was like, Dr. (laughs) Sonic. I'm glad. But then like the other night, he, um, my parents were over. And so he was super distracted. And I just kept saying to them, like, don't force it, you know, don't push him. And he ended up eating his whole dinner after like a half an hour. And one night he flat out refused. He walked away. He got ready for bed. We were playing for a little while before bedtime. He looked at me and said, I'm hungry. Can I have the rest of my dinner? And I had left it on the counter and he finished the whole plate at like eight o'clock before he went to bed. Wonderful. Yeah. I bet you feel pretty good that you stuck with it. Yep. And it was easier to do than I thought it would be, to be honest. Like it kind of took a total weight off my shoulders because I feel like I just was like, I'm just done. I'm just done fighting with him. I'm just like, if he eats, he eats. And if he doesn't, he's not going to die. And that's been easier for me, even though I thought it wasn't going to be. Great. I'm, I'm really proud of you guys. Yeah. So that's been so much better. And my husband thankfully was like a hundred percent on board. He's been kind of like doing the same thing. I said to him, like, you've got, I know it's easier to like sit there and force feed him, but you got to stop doing it. And he did. So that's great. All the two of us on the same page is sometimes half the battle. (laughs) Well, you know, it, it's actually, that's true for a lot of couples. I mean, it's hard. We all were parented differently and Mm -hmm. we all have different things in our mind. I think he just has like a different relationship with Ben and he gets to kind of be like the fun guy with him. And so having him eat outside with him or like having him eat in front of the TV is something that like he's allowed to happen. And I just said like, it's just setting us up for failure in the long run. So, and he understood that. So, but the behavior otherwise has been real tough and he, I don't know if maybe (laughs) the like power struggle is shifting then to something else. And so he's just fighting that, but just lots of tantrums, lots of crying over things. And what it culminated in yesterday when I emailed you is that he 
decided he just didn't want to go to camp yesterday. And he's been going for three weeks. He generally loves going to school, loves going to camp, loves the interaction with the kids. And he started pretty much right from when he woke up yesterday morning, like, I'm not going. And I was like, you know, I think we're going to try to go. And I eventually like got him in the car, you know, kind of talked him through that. We got to the school and he met up with a little buddy of his and they were running around playing. And then the minute we walked inside, he started screaming bloody murder. I don't want you to go. I don't want to go to camp. Like totally breaking my heart. Cause of course I'm like, do I really shove this three-year-old to camp when he's crying? Is it really worth it? But my gut was saying to me, if I give in to crying about this and like, let him come home, then what precedent do I set moving forward for next year at school? And so like all of this is going through my mind yesterday morning and the teacher just said to me, you know, he's always fine once you leave. So just go. And so they did like kind of just grab him. And I walked down the hall to listen to him scream, mama, don't go. And I was like, oh my God, where is this coming from? This kid has literally never done this. Never, ever, ever cried at school. And they called me like two minutes later and said, he's perfectly fine and he's playing. And I picked him up yesterday thinking we've got to have a long talk about this. And it was like, nothing ever happened. Like he was just fine. And so I, I, so I wrapped my brain about it all morning saying, why is this bad behavior happening? And now he's having like this separation anxiety we've never had before. So I'm so curious to see what your thoughts are. (laughs) So first, I want to know how the rest of that morning went. So I would love to know, he woke up in the morning and he said he didn't want to go to camp, but somehow you got him in the car. So tell me about that. I kind of just said to him, like, this is the last week of camp and we're going on vacation next week and you're not going to see your friends. And I really think you're going to be sad if you don't go. And I just kind of kept saying to him, like, let's go to school and see how you feel when you get there. And he kind of just went along with that. He kind of, I think, just expected that he might feel, I don't know. I don't know what he expected, but he was able, he was able to get in the car by himself. It wasn't like a kicking and screaming fight. He was able to do that. And, you know, he ate a good breakfast. He didn't seem sick. He didn't seem upset. And actually in the way to school, I, he even said to me, like, I just want to stay home. And I said, well, mom is not going to be home. I said, I'm going to the gym. And I made a point to say to him, like Matt, his brother, Matthew is taking a nap. I was like, I'm not going to play with Matthew. Mom's going to the gym. I'm going to go home and take a shower and I'm going to come back and get you so that he didn't think like, oh, I'm going to go home and play with Matthew for the rest of the morning. And he gets left out of that somehow. Right. And then you got to camp and it was a little bit of a different story. And so Tell me a little bit more about what was really going through your mind when you were trying to make the decision of, do I leave him or do I take him? I mean, obviously the mom guilt comes into play and I'm like, should I really push a three-year-old when he's like this upset to do something he really doesn't want to do? Like, what does it matter if he comes home? And maybe it's just, you know, maybe he's really trying to tell me he just doesn't want to do this today. And like, I do feel like there's a sense of like giving him some control over, how he's feeling. And I think because of the bad behavior, the tantrums, the kind of out of his own personality behavior that he's been exhibiting, my thought process at first was kind of like, maybe there's something going on here. I'm just like not getting right now. But then kind of going back to like the power struggle, the food thing, like I also thought to myself, like, you know, he's not a kid that doesn't like school. He's not a kid that's not super like excited to be around other kids his age. 
And if I bring him home right now, like, where does that leave me moving forward? Because I've kind of given into this particular situation. Right. So I just want to recap for anyone listening that we had discussed that you were away for a couple of days without him. And since that time, he's been having some behavior that is uncharacteristic where he's challenging you in a different way. And one of the ways was picky eating. And that has been sort of an on and off issue. But you really in the last week have tried very hard to sort of tackle that as its own issue. And I think it's possible that he's learning that things are changing at home and he wants to see where he's testing his boundaries, right? He wants to see where can he get away with things. And it is totally normal for a three-year-old to do that. I sometimes get worried when three-year-olds don't challenge at all. So I think your experience in camp is something that I've actually had to deal with myself this summer in camp. And I have actually a whole podcast episode about separation anxiety. And the story of my daughter getting on the campus is part of that episode. But I think your gut feeling was sort of right. And and I'm happy that you had the support of the teachers or the, the counselors at that moment. Yeah. Because they're right, right? He's sort of putting on this show, trying to figure out, is he going to win this battle? And I'm not sure he would have been any happier if he did win the battle, right? No, probably not. (laughs) Right. Because he would have been home and, you know, it's really more fun at camp. And so how did you feel during the day when he was at camp? Worried. I think I got in my own head thinking there's something going on here that I'm not like that, or that I'm just not maybe responding to the behavior in a way that's like helping him. I do think that I kind of overthink it sometimes too, because I really was like going through my head thinking, you know, is something going on at camp that he's like not telling me about that's making him uncomfortable. Is there a dynamic at home that's somehow making him upset? And we really haven't had any huge, like, life-altering changes. Like, everything's kind of inconsistent with the exception of my one, you know, (laughs) three-night trip away, um, which I don't think is, like, earth-shattering for him. The only other thing that I did think about, you know, in the midst of, like, reeling through all this in my head is that his now almost one-year-old brother is definitely, like, on the move. He's about to walk. He's getting a lot more attention because he is becoming like a toddler and not a baby anymore. Um, I do think that part of this may just be he wants the undivided attention that he's had for so long and it's getting divided in a much more obvious way than just, oh, I have to feed the baby, you know? He now has to share his toys and he and his time with you, which is almost more precious, right? Right. But, you know, what I usually say is the amount of guilt that we can have as parents is unlimited, right? (laughs) And the most important thing for us to remember is that, you know, when you are making these decisions and doing things like, having a sibling or putting him in camp, you're making all of these decisions because those are the things that you feel are the best things for him too, right? And for your family. And so 
if you could try almost to, I mean, it's unrealistic to say don't feel guilty because we all feel guilty, right? But I would say try not to allow those feelings of guilt to cause you to make decisions that you don't feel are the right decisions, right? And so if you had said, oh my God, I feel so guilty about all of these things. I'm going to just bring him home and snuggle him on the couch instead of putting him in camp all day. How do you think that would have made you feel? Oh, totally defeated. Yeah. I think like I would have felt like I took 12 steps backwards with him because I don't, I truly didn't think that that was the right decision. What I did do was I picked him up from camp and took him to just do some things, just the two of us thinking like, okay, I want to promote like the good behavior. Like you went to camp, you stayed, you did a good job, you know, you've settled down. So mom will take you to do, you know, we, I mean, we just did errands and I took him out to lunch and we had a, and I, I think he was annoyed with me because I kept saying like, why were you upset this morning? Tell me about what happened. I can't. And he was like, why do you keep asking me about camp mom? <laughs> the last three hours I've been killing myself to try to figure out what's wrong. And you don't even remember you were upset. Like, so it did really like click in my brain. Like this is in my head more than it is in his. Yeah. I mean, definitely we create bigger stories in our mind about these things than are going on in their minds. And, oh. <laughs> and some of that, plays to their benefit. And mm-hmm. some of it really just drives us crazy. Totally. But I love what you said about how you spent quality time with him. And I love even more that that quality time was spent really doing things that you would have had to do anyway. You just brought him along and how special that time is for him. And you're still getting your stuff done. So, you know, I want to highlight that you don't have to feel like we're making a special plan and doing something extraordinary just to be able to spend time with your kids. And that time going to the supermarket or running errands, like he feels like you're giving him one-on-one attention, you're engaging him in conversation and that's really special to him. And he's going to remember. Yeah. I think just not having his brother like in the car with us. And even though Matthew's baby and doesn't talk, like there is a sense that he's like, you know, he takes half of my attention away, regardless of whether he's like talking to me or not. And it's funny because then I get to the point where, and I'm sure this is like every mom probably feels like this. You know, I spent my whole morning, like thinking about Ben, devoted to him, took him to lunch, got home. You know, I barely saw the baby all morning. And then, you know, I, I finally did get kind of carve out some time for Matthew in the afternoon. But, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I I finally like kind of got my footing with Ben and like got him this time, but he like sucks all the the air out of (laughs) it. So poor Matthew is getting the end of the stick now. So, you know, it, it constantly for me, like goes back and forth like that, where I feel like, and I can't even imagine with four, I mean, you must feel like constantly pulled in four directions because I just feel like, oh, I finally got, I got one kid down and now I haven't spent like five minutes with the other one. So, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's not easy, but I think also with four, I try to have a realistic expectation for myself on what I can do. And I wouldn't say that every single day I spend time alone with every single one of them. Right. There's not enough hours. 
you know, I mean, and they don't need that much time. Sometimes it's just 10 minutes and we try, what we try to do is, is create a bedtime scenario where each child is getting at least a few minutes of one-on-one time. Um, it may, it, the hard thing there is that two of my kids share room. They want to share rooms, so but it does interfere with bedtime. So sometimes I have to take one of them away to my room to do bedtime just so that they can feel like they're really getting alone time. And again, it doesn't have to take forever. It's 10 minutes for each child. And I know that bedtime takes about an hour in our house to get every single person sort of with their stories read and with their time to talk about their day. And mm-hmm. um and then we try, I mean, we try to have time as a family, but that time that you're spending with them one-on-one does wonders for their behavior. Yeah, it's true. And I, and after watching or listening to the module on like the love languages and I mean, Ben is definitely just a kid who needs to be like physically like cuddled and like he wants me to get in bed with him at bedtime and like snuggle with him, read him a book. You know, we lay with me before I fall asleep. So I have tried to like amp that up a little bit where I've just been babying him a little bit, which I think he really needs. Like he'll even say to me, like, hold me like you hold Matthew. <laughs> like, okay, well, you're 20 pounds heavier than Matthew. But <laughs> We'll work on that. Yeah, um, but everybody likes to snuggle, right? It's the same yeah. thing. Like, you know, even adults in relationships like to be held and like to have that. But it is funny that I, you know, this, like watching that, I was like, well, I'm pretty sure that for Ben, it's like he needs all of them. Like, yeah. It really is for him. Like he loves to get a special treat. He always will say to me, like, can I get something special? Can we like get, you know, can we go get, do something? (laughs) So that piece of it is a piece for him. And he obviously likes the the affirmation that, you know, especially if we're saying like, oh, Matthew did a great job with something. He'll be like, mama, I did a great job with something too. Right. Didn't I? And so it's like, I, and I'm laughing because I'm like, this kid's just high maintenance. (laughs) (laughs) He needs a little piece of all of those. So it does, you know, it feels a little exhausting after a while because I do think that as the oldest child, he, you know, he requires a lot of our attention and I work really hard to make sure that he has those pieces of his day like fulfilled. And like you said, just even like 10 minutes at bedtime is a huge thing for him. But then it's like juggling that with making sure that that doesn't necessarily mean that you know, Matthew's not getting those things because Ben is so, I I wouldn't even say he's needy. He's just very verbal about what it is that he needs, wants, requires. And I think kids are just so different when it comes to like how they put those things into the world. Yeah, for sure. And it's challenging, but you know, Matthew's only a year old. And so you are going to learn over time what it is that Matthew needs, and you will learn over time how you can best navigate having two kids with different needs and different wants at different times. And Sometimes as soon as you figure it out, it changes on you. I was just going to say, and then it's going to change. (laughs) You know, I really would say rather than focus on how challenging it is, try to focus on how much you're enjoying that time with each of them. Absolutely. Yeah. And I will say that's one thing that has been true is that I do feel like I do really enjoy when I get Ben one-on-one and he's like not having, it's not the day-to-day 
like in and out of having these tantrums or falling apart about something, you know, when he's in that special time, although he did have a a tantrum in the middle of our time yesterday, but I just kind of have resided myself to the fact that that's just kind of where we're at right now for whatever reason, that's just what he's going through. So I even said to like our babysitter and my husband, like he, this is just what, what he's doing right now. And I don't know if it's a reaction to something. I don't know if he's just maybe hitting a growth spurt that's both physical and emotional. I do think that he's physically growing right now and he's a huge kid yeah. and I, it's almost like he doesn't know what to do with like his body right now because he's just like beyond what he I think is capable of handling to a certain extent um he just keeps like going through these growth spurts so I think it's a little like emotionally trying for him to kind of catch up with himself physically Well, and I think also when you have a large child, so one of my daughters was like this too. She was just, she even still today, she's a six-year-old that looks like a third grader. And what we have to remember is that they are still their age, right? And they're, even though they look, even though he might look like a four-year-old, he's still a three-year-old, right? And I know I've had this situation with my daughter where when she was younger, we would go to the park or do something and people would expect her to behave like an older child because she looked like an older child, but she wasn't. And she was still a toddler and she wasn't going to speak like a five-year-old because she was only a three-year-old, right? And see, Ben has almost like this combination of negatives going for him in an emotional sense because he looks like he's five and he talks like he's at least that old. I mean, he, the way that he verbalizes things, he sounds like he's five or six years old and people will constantly say the same thing to me. They're like, how old is he? And I'm like three and a half. And they're like, what? Because he sounds like he's at least in kindergarten. I mean, he's already starting to like read. He memorized books and, and verbatim reads them back to me. So he's intellectually capable of things. And so I think it is hard, you know, I really try to remember, like, I'm constantly having these like in-depth conversations with him. I don't know now, like thinking about it, how much of that emotionally he's even able to process. Like he's able to verbalize things, but I don't know that he's able to figure out how he actually like feels or how he should respond to them. And so I'm wondering if like maybe some of that is what's going on that he just can't catch up. Well, I think it's important to continue having those conversations and not sort of sell him short in that way. I I would really continue the conversations and and speak to him like you think he can understand, but understand in your mind that he may not really be fully able to react the way that you would expect him to react after those conversations. And I think expectations are such a big thing in parenting and really in life. And most of our frustrations and disappointments as parents really come from our unrealistic expectations that may not be met, right? And so if we can know what is truly reasonable for us to expect, Mm -hmm. then we get less disappointed. And it's the same thing, like you said about the tantrums. He may be at a point right now in his you know, in his life where that's his way of dealing with things. And I don't usually say, you know, you need to stop the tantruming because I think that for some kids, they really just need to be able to have that outlet. But if you can avoid giving attention 
to a tantrum, then when he has one, he can just have his tantrum, get it all out, and then it will be over. And he won't have tantrums necessarily for your benefit as much. They will really be just for for his benefit, right? No, and there is some truth to that in the sense that like, and you and I talked about this last week too, like trying to have any kind of conversation with him when he's in the throes of being upset about something fruitless. And I think yeah, he's not processing anything at that point. So trying, we have definitely been trying to just ignore it and um, take the energy away from it because it's irrational behavior. <laughs> so he really is a kid who's always like, I want to talk about it. Let's talk about what, you know, and I'm like, I've just gotten to the point. I'm like, you can say what you want to say, but then we're just going to be done with this. <laughs> yeah. Because otherwise it just prolongs it, right? Well, it's a fine line because I don't want to tell him not, you know, my mom was kind of all over me the other day. Cause I kept saying to him, like, stop crying, stop being upset. Like you're getting upset about everything. And she was kind of like, you know, he's feeling how he's feeling. Let him feel it. Don't tell him not to get upset. I was like, but he's <laughs> crying about literally everything. So at some point it's got to stop. But I, I agree with you that I think it's kind of the same concept with the eating that he just like, he needs to not have fuel to the fire, if you will. He just needs, it needs to just be whatever he needs to like do to, to deal with it and then let it go. Yeah. And, you know, I don't disagree with your mom. I mean, I think that he can feel how he feels. And if he's upset, he should be able to communicate that. Yeah. But just like you said, you don't have to add to that attention seeking, right. right? To sort of give him that attention that he's looking for as part of it, because that will just, make it a longer tantrum or more frequent tantruming. Right? right. Exactly. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like we're moving in the right direction. And I, I also think we're, we're leaving for two weeks of vacation this weekend and my husband's going to be home and we're going to be, you know, the four of us and he's going to be getting a lot of one-on-one time. He's going to be getting time with grandparents. So I'm hoping that by the time we get back that some of this will kind of have worked itself out just by having you know, a change of scenery, a change of pace, time with dad, time with grandparents, kind of all kinds of special things going on. Yeah. I think what I would also say is, you know, always try to think about when he's having his meltdowns or he's really not having a good day. What might be contributing to that in terms of, could he be hungry? Could he be really tired? Maybe he didn't sleep well last night. And especially when you're on vacation, sort of have that realistic expectation to what his days are going to be like and how exhausted he's going to be feeling. Right. Because he's going to be out of his routine and yeah. Right. You'll be out of your routine too. And sometimes that makes it more fun and more exciting, but at some point he may really get exhausted. And so try to try to see if you can at least listen for that and give him what he needs in terms of more rest if he needs it. We have been working on the nap schedule too, and that has been working. We've been trying to get him down between like one and one thirty instead of waiting until two or two thirty. And he has gone from like like two or three naps a week to like I think he only really skipped one this week. Great. Um, he was like going the only problem is we have been having to like he goes down hard when he goes down and so there's been times where he's like it's he's gone down at 1 30 and it's like 4 15 and I'm like nope he's got to get up we just want to wake him up and then we deal with cranky toddler for like two hours 
hours, but, but I think getting him back into the routine of sleeping is worth it in the long run. And hopefully the timing of it will just work itself out over a few weeks. But I think you're right. Like keeping that part of the routine and making sure that most of the time he's going to get a nap or at least some quiet time while we're away is going to be important. Yeah. Yeah. Too little not to. Yeah. I mean, he clearly needs it, right? So some three-year-olds don't need it. And it's an age where some kids are phasing that nap out. But if he falls asleep that hard and deep, he really does need it. And it will make a difference for you and for him and his behavior the rest of the day. Yeah. So (laughs) you're welcome. So what was the most useful part of this call for you? I think just the the reaffirmation that like some of the things that we're doing are like moving in the right direction. Um, I think for me this week, like second guessing my decision with like camp and with his behavior and wondering if maybe there's something like going on that I'm not like thinking of just knowing that like we're kind of moving in the right direction and kind of sticking to the things that we talked about in our first call just helps me to kind of stand my ground with it. Yeah. And keep Great. Moving in that direction. Yeah. And I think it's just, honestly, a lot of it is our, our own confidence in our decision-making. And that's where I think that having the support is so great and being able to sort of touch base with someone and say like, if this is what I'm thinking, do you think it's reasonable? Um, There, there isn't always a right or wrong answer, right? But you have to feel comfortable with the decisions that you're making, because if you're not comfortable, that's when we falter and that's when we become wishy-washy And if we're wishy-washy, our kids feel that. And then they know they can take advantage. Absolutely. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Raiseology podcast. Head over to www.raiseology.com where you'll find plenty of You've Got This resources for parents and any links or tools mentioned in today's show. Be sure to hit subscribe on your podcatcher so that you can listen to the next episode the minute it's out. Until next time, have an empowered week.